It was a fun, brainless, quippy, Easter eggy kind of thing. And so I enjoyed it for what it was. I got my money's worth. And in a crazy year where we don't go to the movies as much, and this was one of the films that I actually decided to go into theaters for, I'm glad I saw it and I had fun. In a world of we must have big budget blockbuster content for the streaming hordes and masses. Yeah, I don't know, man. Be careful what you wish for, right? People always kind of attach this mystique to like the forgotten movies, the lost movies, the movies that never were. And then once you see it, the mystique is gone and you realize, oh, it's a pile of shit. I don't think it kind of lived up to the hype. Few things to you, though. You know, mission accomplished. I painted it on, Rumin. <laughs> Gross. I, I mean, look, I know you like Junji Ito and body horror, but don't make me look at that, dude. Uh... Rumin, bask, bask in my glory. But seriously, at least I don't look like a brown and bearded Ryan Seacrest, Rumin. I don't think, I think that's unfair to you, Rumin. I don't think you look like a brown and bearded Ryan Seacrest. But okay, you are a brown and bearded Ryan Seacrest, Rumin. A Rumin Seacrest, if you will. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> you should say that checks out. That checks out. I am a I am a I am a rum and seacrest. <laughs> that checks out. I I'm a rum and seacrest. You are a rum and seacrest. And that brings me to my next question, which is what are you doing in the penguin suit? Didn't you forget your bat shark repellent? Wait, I don't get that one. <sighs> that's that's your own fucking fault, man. Wait. <laughs> oh wait was penguin the enemy in that episode if i have to explain the 1960s batman movie i'm i re- just... i know i get i get the bat shark repel i remember that i've seen that but what is that like the the penguin suit uh, well the connection? penguin the penguin is the reason uh they're in trouble with the sharks and that's why they need the shark repellent the penguin was one of four villains in that movie oh okay ah uh, what are you doing in in your penguin suit is that your i thought you were rum and seacrest not danny devito Dude, it's our very special end of year extravaganza cine magnifique. Ah, this is where we get to rehash all the shit that we had to watch on Disney Plus. Thank you, though, for your subscription. I oh, wait, no- we shouldn't publicize that. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm so glad I pay for that by myself. Well, Ryan, this is the very special end of your episode where we quickly recap all of the amazing comic book properties that we saw in the movies and on TV this past year. Ah, yes. This is where you get to rehash all of the shit where I was totally right on this podcast and you were totally wrong. But I don't feel that's fair either because I'm not always totally right and you're not always totally wrong. I would say I'm right like 90% of the time. I'm Roman Segel. I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes whose only way of coping with another terrible year was to read comic books and watch movies and TV shows about comic books. All right, so how's this going to work? Hmm. 
Well, we don't have 20 hours, so I figure since there were more than a handful of notable popular comic book movies and TV shows that we didn't do very special episodes for. I mean, I'm looking at your list. We already did more than a few of these. Yes, but we do know that most folks don't listen to every episode. Well, you know, uh, my Auntie Pinky does. And actually, I know that we have another uh, constant listener, my my brother-in-law, Sung-Yun, in, in Seoul. So, hey, Sung-Yun. They're the <laughs> only the- listeners that matter. The only two. Well, there's also Amitosh, my childhood friend's younger brother, who's like family to me. Uh, and I'm sure there's a couple. There's that random guy in the Netherlands who wrote us an email. Please, you guys are again. the only. You guys are all the only people that matter. Did I say two? I meant like five or six, possibly seven. Exactly, exactly. You speak the truth, Ryan. So let's put some time on the clock. And let's just do some quick hot takes on all of these in the order in which they appeared. So I say let's go all the way back. To 1984. By which you mean December 2020's WW84. Is that Wonder Woman by any chance, Roman? I thought it was a World Wrestling thing. World Wrestling 84. World Wrestling 84. Okay. Yes. Kind of campy, but not really in a good way. And I kind of wish, and I really wish, Wonder Woman were a more interesting character you know she's one of those kind of generically good individuals who's always going to do the right thing as we've talked about in previous episodes she's basically just an empty vessel through which audiences can try to you know embody um and i think you know and, and at least with the first wonder woman you had a fish out of water thing that made things sort of interesting here you lose all of that and she's just a generic hero I wanted to like the movie more. At the beginning of the movie, the lean into the camp and the mall scene. I do wonder, you know, this was, no pun intended, this was a movie that was meant to be seen in cinemas, but most of us saw on our couches because it was at the beginning or the worst of the winter of the pandemic. And I genuinely think we would have been more forgiving had we seen it as a cinematic lapping together experience. But man, when you see it on your couch and you can hit pause, like... You are kind of creeped out when she's sleeping with her, the soul of her lover in someone else's body. (laughs) I forgot about that. She does rape somebody. (laughs) Yes, that happens. You know, and that's the other thing about camp is that it, you know, I think the best camp tends to be sort of effortless or maybe it's not always self-aware. Well, sometimes it is. Uh, This one is just kind of trying too hard, right? They kind of have all of the 80s schlock and they're kind of throwing it at you and they're almost sort of aggressive with the camp, which is a little bit off-putting. I can't wait to see the third one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, what should we do next? Did you see Black Widow? I did see Black Widow. Did you? All right, no, but let's try it out. Even better. Next up, Let's go over to the Marvel Universe and see what happens when they decide to cast a female lead in Black Widow. I did not see it. Oh, man, come on. It had a CGI battle while falling out of a plane and a sky beam. I I swear Black Panther also had a CGI battle while people were falling. Uh, It also had... Onto a train. Her younger sister... And it had the Taskmaster, who was like a robot that could pretty much do everyone else's moves from the last like twenty Marvel movies. I like so. Taskmaster. I really she, Taskmaster. I know. I know the twist in with this one. It's a female assassin. I Task, Taskmaster <laughs> is that a twist? Why can a female not be so. an assassin, Ryan? Come on. <laughs> I think because Taskmaster is always associated with being a dude. 
Um, and certainly the way the character is marketed, you know, like when you see the character shows up in the trailers, it's actually so. Um, Taskmaster, I've always liked Taskmaster because he's really kind of chatty, but he's also a loser. Is that the case in the Black Widow movie? It's not. It's more of a tragic character because these are movies uh, that have got to be dark and gritty and okay. rooted in, you know, the red in her ledger that she's got. Yeah, yeah. But ta- okay, so was the movie any good? <coughs> um, next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why was the movie bad? They should have done it sooner. Well, they I tried to. It was, it was a pandemic thing. No, no. Oh, not even oh that. before. Yeah, before. Yeah, like, yeah. She, she deserved her own movie. And to be fair, Hawkeye's not getting his own movie yet. Oh, shit, Hawkeye's going to come out by the time we do this end-of-year episode. All right, we need to kind of compare the two. We read the Matt Fraction run. It would be a sin to not do the Hawkeye show. Yeah, okay. Next up is Marvel Cinematic Universe on your TV, even though we saw Black Widow on our TV. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, dude. Pretty Didn't awesome, huh? Didn't see that one either. Was it pretty awesome, though, Roman? Was it? What the fuck, Ryan? Come on, man. What are you doing? There aren't enough hours in the day. It's the end of year. You've had the whole year to watch this shit. Yeah, there still aren't enough hours in the day. <laughs> uh, it had a lot of promise. It had moments <laughs> well, that I... Well, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> I, um... What was the promise? What What was good about it? The we're passing the mantle of the shield onto a black man, and let's really unpack that. Oh no, just kidding! The black man doesn't want it. We're gonna give it to a white football star, and he's a little mentally unhinged. Oh, and buddy cop with the two guys who were BFFs with Cap, who really don't like each other but kind of need to like each other. There was so many, so much promise, and but just what happened? A, what happened? They actually had to rewrite some of the plot, apparently, because the original plot, the show started filming before the outbreak of the pandemic, and the original plot had to do with a worldwide virus. And uh, they wound up reshooting a lot of scenes because that was a little too on the nose. And it wasn't about a virus. It was about class warfare. Again, it had a lot of promise. And um, it had its moments but I don't think it was the strongest Marvel show. And ironically, it wasn't supposed to be the first Marvel show that came out, but uh, it had a lot of promise, right? It had a lot of promise. Didn't live up to it. How was the, how was the dynamic between Falcon and winter soldier? How were the villains? I mean, Baron Zemo can dance. (laughs) Look that one up on a gif meme, if you will. Okay. I missed that. I missed out on that one. I like Baron Zemo though. I, uh, we're at two minutes. We're at two oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, shit. Okay, well, we'll, have, we'll get into Wild Baron Zemo some other time. In the Thunderbolts limited series. Yes. That's what, actually, that's why I like Baron Zemo. All right. Justice League Snyder Cut. And I said earlier that there weren't enough hours in the day, and yet somehow I found time to watch this one. What did you think, Roman? It made a good Netflix series. <laughs> in, an HBO Max series and in, in told in four parts. It actually made for a better TV show than a movie. Uh, I was went into this not wanting to like it, but uh, it stayed true to his vision. I mean, better than the Franken movie that the Joss Whedon version was. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. It was consistent with, yeah, versus Joss Whedon trying to add some levity to it and brighter colors. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, it was a really long music video. Um, you know, there is there. I mean... I mean, that actually both is good and bad, right? There is this sort of epic quality to 
Snyder's version of Justice League, he really kind of exalts and that these characters are gods. Um, and it's a really it's a really cool vibe. But when it comes to actually telling the story, I don't actually remember what happens on a <laughs> scene by scene basis on a narrative basis. The Justice they, League get in a big battle. They defeat the evil space god. And will there be a sequel? I, I think I think the problem is that if you have all of these godlike people getting together, the threat has to be kind of awesome and interesting and weird. And Snyder's version of Darkseid, I mean, it's not Darkseid, it's Steppenwolf, but I mean, he's Darkseid's agent. It's basically just basic world domination. I'm going to send a horde of bad guys onto the planet and, you know, you guys beat them up. It's dull and i've always felt like the best justice league stories and i'm you know of course referring to like grant morrison's run on it he actually creates really interesting villains really interesting scenarios that the justice league can't just punch their way out of and it's a little bit disappointing when we don't get that when snyder doesn't really fully embrace the weird he embraced the epicness but i think there was so much more he could have done with uh especially when he had like you know this how long was this movie 24 hours <laughs> he had he had a lot of time to kind of build up some really interesting shit and i don't think he did one thing you mentioned that i might want to do in the new year and we've talked about this is read some of those like late 90s early 2000s superhero reboots including grant morrison's justice league but another thing i, I actually genuinely want to do when my kids are in college and i actually have time is to kind of watch the fully realized snyder dc trilogy of man of steel batman v superman and then the Snyder cut, because he is kind of creating his own little MCU. And there's a movement to try to bring the Snyder verse back. And, you know, in a world of we must have big budget blockbuster content for the streaming hordes and masses, I think it's possible. Yeah, I don't know, man. Be careful what you wish for, right? People always kind of attach this mystique to like the forgotten movies, the lost movies, the movies that never were. And then once you see it, the mystique is gone and you realize, oh, it's a pile of shit. Not to say that Justice League Snyder Cut was a pile of shit, but, you know, it was like, I don't think it kind of lived up to the hype. A few things to you, though. Worth looking up and reading the leaked plot points that would have been in the rest of the Snyderverse. It's some pretty troubling shit in there. Ooh, I like it. All right. WandaVision, a tale of grief and loss against the backdrop of, I guess, American television history. This is the Marvel show you actually watched, isn't it, Ryan? This is the one I actually watched, yeah. (laughs) It's, if you only watched one, it was this one, man. It it was the one to watch. It, up until the end, at least, until we get into kind of Skybeam territory and some of the choices on how they resolve it. It was really interesting. Like I had, yeah. I, oh man, you didn't, you don't feel the same way. No, I, I do feel. I, I it's, we talk about missed opportunities. This was the missed opportunity. I really liked it when you, you were off kilter. You don't know what the hell's going exactly, on. Why exactly. Exactly. And then they have the stuff that happens in the real world, and you they're know, explaining. Randall it. Park comes in, and Cat comes I know in, an, and, and I know an astrophysicist. It. Yeah. Oh, shut up guys like don't let the mystery carry on once you start explaining the mystery there's nothing more to discover and that happened like in episode two right there was nothing more to discover once they brought in you know photon two and all of the other characters trying to make sense of it you drained the story of its mystique of its interest if they had just kept the story within wanda's world or the world that she was creating 
that would have been I'm, 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 I want to pick on that I want to pick on that a little bit I do think you need some of the conflict with the outside world but not as much and maybe you continually have the conflict of the outside world portrayed as has its how it's seen inside of Wanda's vision right yeah so the beekeeper guy coming in so you can introduce Monica Rambo because one of the interesting things at the very end was this isn't really Vision, but Vision is a robot. We saw. I, I didn't mind having the flashbacks to Wanda seeing Vision and the conflict between the two Visions. I enjoyed that, understanding that her kids aren't real. Um, I really, you know, it's funny. As both a fan of how are they going to bring the X-Men into the universe? Wait, that's X-Men Quicksilver. Wanda has reality-altering powers. I was really excited, and I was explaining to my wife why this was a big deal and the internet was losing their shit, that the other Quicksilver actor was in this movie. And then when they totally fucking trolled the rest of us and just made it Ralph Boner, I really appreciated the trolling of the fans. So, uh, I, and I, yeah, I, everything I think... until the end for me, man, everything till the end for me, like I could deal with the outside world. I could have done with a little bit less of the outside world, but I think we needed the outside world's conflict. Uh, I, I disagree with that. I, I, I kind of see being prescriptive. What could have happened is like Wanda is dealing with an outside force. Like she's aware of it, but we don't know where she's going when she's dealing with it. So there's this outside force that's exerting itself at the end. You kind of reveal, Oh, it's these soldiers who are trying to penetrate mm-hmm. Wanda's bubble. That might've been more interesting. Like they, they, they show their cards way too soon. And then they kept showing it and showing it and showing it until there was nothing more to discover. And that was so disappointing because there was a lot about the concept of WandaVision that really, really worked. And if they had just leaned into it. All right. Randall Park's close-up magic. All right. Next one is Loki. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't watch it. Good Lord. close-up magic. (laughs) What did you like? Did you like it? Did you like it? I, I really enjoyed it. Close second to WandaVision, man. And because... It decides to be really slow, and it does overly explain things a little much. If you only get time to watch one more over the holidays after you finish watching Hawkeye, um, I think not, not just on kind of what it's going to do for the, the next phase of the MCU, it genuinely poses some interesting questions. And it's, uh, I have uh, the only thing I didn't like about Loki is at the beginning. Because it's not the same Loki that we come to know and love and that dies at the end of the Avengers sequence, all those movies. It is the Loki who's plucked from the end of the first Avengers movie. And in the court, and this is kind of a minor spoiler, it doesn't ruin it for you. But over the course of five minutes in like episode one or episode two, they basically convert the the evil Loki from the first Avengers movie to have all the character growth of all of the movies that came before. And Mm. I would have rather have seen that character growth happen over the course of the series to show that Loki can grow versus, oh yeah, yeah, we plucked old Loki. We grew his character to the point where you last saw him when he died. And now let's send that Loki on an adventure. Missed opportunity to show lots of Loki character growth. And Hey man, um, I I really like Sylvie and and I really like Jonathan Major's character. And I, I don't want to ruin this one for you, Ryan. I, I actually think this is one you should watch. All right. Well, what if I do? Hey, speaking of that, what if? Speaking of shows you didn't watch, is it because <laughs> it wasn't cartoon? What What do you have against cartoons, Ryan? Well, nothing. I grew up watching cartoons. It's just, well, as I said, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, there just aren't enough hours in the day. 
uh, and add parallel universes to that man good lord uh i read the what if comics though i did like the what if comics it's when the show starts with the premise of the what if comics and that's all it is it's great when they start to show splinters of connective tissue and you think they're about to do it you're like oh don't do this let's just have some fun with this and then when you kind of have to have your MCU Avengers moment at the end, you're like, oh, come on. I mean, it's fine. What's your, what's your MCU Avenger, Avengers moment? Uh, and all, the, all the episodes are related, so they're not standalone what-if issues. Oh, it's, that's such a drag. Why would they do that? It The payoff is good. The payoff is interesting. Some of the episodes, you know, the first couple are just fun. The next few are just really dark and mind-bending. Uh, the Doctor okay. Strange one is really good. Um, the Marvel Zombies one will upset you on a lot of levels uh, for different reasons you wouldn't expect. It's um, it's an enjoyable show. I you know because similar to kind of uh, we talked about uh, Star Wars Visions, the anime uh, Star Wars that came out this year. Even though it is kind of all in the same style of animation, a lot of the original actors reprise their roles, including the late Chadwick Boseman, it's good as a standalone show with standalone episodes where every week is just a fun adventure. Because yeah. of the premise of the show, it can be that. And Kevin Feige had to pull it all together because that's how he can afford the budget of you know paying Chris Hemsworth to do a, a silly weekend in Vegas episode, which is also a polarizing episode. It's one you should watch. Uh, My favorite uh, what if episode is like, what if Chadwick Boseman were still alive and Letitia Wright weren't an anti-vaxxer? Too soon. Too soon. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I know. I mean, gosh, we should just like, uh, you know, end the show. Speaking of ending the show, Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Two. Um, James Gunn movies are always just kind of fun. Look, I I always appreciate the attitude he brings to it. I appreciate that the characters are all a little bit quirky and oddball. So I always have a good time at a James Gunn movie, uh, in particular Slither. Have you ever seen Slither about the uh, space slugs? I cannot say that I have. No. Oh, I highly recommend but, that one. But you know what? Whatever. Um, that one's distinctly R-rated. But, you know, Suicide Squad, like Guardians of the Galaxies 1, one and 2, um, you know, it's it's entertaining. I wish I had more to say about it, but... Better movie. I, you know, I, one thing I like about James Gunn's superhero movies, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, well, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, The Suicide Squad, um, all of the characters are fucked up. He's really good at kind of handling these ensemble casts, and it's legitimately funny. I will say, though, that there is sort of, as entertaining as all of these movies are, they do kind of feel like they, they fall onto the same formula, a group of fucked up people getting together to fight some sort of, like, you know, big bad. Well, I think with James Gunn, with his superhero movies, at least, I don't know if I've actually seen any other is any of his other work. But oh, you haven't he, seen he, Slither? He, Robin, I have to, re- I have to recommend Slither to you. You must see Slither. <laughs> he he walks the fine line. He threads the needle between not taking himself too seriously and obviously trying too hard. Like there's just moments in Suicide Squad, and I enjoyed it. Like the moment where Starro the Conqueror shows up, and they show the vantage point of other people saying, "What." <laughs> Like, uh, again, you can't not 
enjoy the ludicrousness of what he's kind of trying to be over the top with and going yeah. kind of in the complete opposite direction of most modern grounded real what would really happen if superheroes existed in this world kind of take it's um it's refreshing yeah, one thing I do like about the Suicide Squad versus Guardians of the Galaxy is that he's able to take real loser characters like the Polka Dot Man and give an interesting spin on them. And one thing I, it seems is like he got really bored with some of the more straight arrow characters from the first Suicide Squad, like Rick Flagg, for instance, basically just straight up kills him. And in favor of the characters that are a little bit more perverted. And uh, I appreciate that. You know, in his straight arrow, the the Idris Elba character, he's not too straight either. He's a bit of a, a fuck up also. And, and worth noting one other thing. I, it's just a small detail that I loved is the way he would actually incorporate set pieces into the title cards. It's a small thing, but man, it was good. And it's not something you see that often. So, And uh, also, also, not to bring this back to Grant Morrison, but... His version of Star of the Conqueror, this creature that kind of would ejaculate parasitic starfish onto people's faces, that was Grant Morrison's version of Star of the Conqueror in Injustice League. Uh, I mean, I've always thought that's what Starro did, but yeah, we should have just did he always, Wait, wait, was the original Starro just a giant starfish, or did he have like parasites that stuck to your face? Parasites stuck to your face was something always a Starro thing, my friend. Oh, even in the beginning? I thought he was like a 60s villain. Yeah, I think he's always done that. But again, I could be wrong. It was Grant Morrison's Justice League. That I knew Star seem... was a thing, and I just always assumed he was. So we'll that have to go check the tape 60s. on that one, right? Yeah, we'll have to check the tape. I always thought that was a Grant Morrison thing. That was the first time I saw Star like put a starfish on your face. Hey, like five awful. listeners, go do the research for us and send us a link. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, we're out of time. <laughs> Next up, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Ah, yes. The Tony Leung movie. Um, you know, I think you mean the Ben Kingsley movie. The Ben Kingsley the movie. Ben Kingsley. No, Tony Leung stole the show. I wish actually he and, and Ben Kingsley did have a scene together. I would have liked to have seen their interaction. It's coming soon to Disney+. Plus. Well, one can only hope. It's. I mean, it's, you know, appreciate the Asian representation, but a very kind of typical uh, Marvel, Marvel movie. movie. Yeah, I remember in the beginning, like there was this like really painful exposition as your best friend. Da, 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 da. Oh, okay, that's a relationship. Um, you know, when Tony Leung was on screen, he was absolutely, absolutely riveting. Um, you know, I do, I do appreciate that that they were actually speaking Mandarin. I don't know why they were speaking Mandarin in San Francisco. Uh, Seems like they should have been speaking Cantonese, but whatever. Because <laughs> it's a Disney property that they're trying to sell into China, but the movie backfired because the star of the movie said something mean about China. In the <laughs> Any Chinese-American artist that Marvel gets involved with inevitably says something bad about the Chinese government and gets banned. Look at, look at Chloe Zhao, who I'm sure we'll talk about soon. <laughs> what about Dune? Wait a minute. I didn't get your take on Shang-Chi. Oh, because I feel... You can't uh, so, just slide out of that. What do you think? You're some kung fu master? No, you can't dodge that one. Well, what's interesting is we're just rehashing the takes and we're not actually having fun with this. Uh, like, I think You're not having fun. I'm having, I'm having fun. No, you no. Gotta, these, you take, gotta... these, ta these takes aren't as salty. Oh. Be salty, Raman. Where's your salt? Bring it. I, I mean, look, you mean, you're the Asian one. You're the one who knows kung fu. Uh, you're not Asian? Are you, are you saying you're not Asian? 
That's that's true. I am Asian. And one thing yeah. us South Asians hate is when you East Asians say we're not Asian. Uh, exactly. And see yeah. that and you here you did it yourself. <laughs> this is why representation matters. We got Roman, the Indian American saying he's not Asian. He poisoned his mind. <laughs> we poisoned the well. I look, again, I, I treated it like a Marvel movie. It was a fun, brainless, quippy easter eggy kind of thing and so i enjoyed it for what it was and tony lung was electric i wanted more from simu Liu. i wanted more from aquafina but i got my money's worth and in a, in a crazy year where we don't go to the movies as much and this was one of the films that i actually decided to go into theaters for um i'm glad i saw it and i had fun did i want more kung fu yes was the kung fu better than the netflix iron fish show yes so you know oh, yeah. mission accomplished did you see read about the stuntman, the Iron Fist stuntman, who said basically that Finn Jones, who played Iron Fist, wouldn't wouldn't basically train? It kind of like explains why the, all why the kung fu in that show sucked. Also, though, the action sequence were way better than Black Panther, which is all like felt like CGI. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, Black Panther and Iron Fist are two things we should talk about in 2022. But there's more than enough good comics uh, of those two that are worth. Ah, uh, the Tanahazi Coates one, the the Ta- uh, the Matt Fraction Iron Fist. Yeah, intergalactic wow. Wakandan Empire. All right, My to be continued. To be continued. So let's talk about Dune Part One. Yeah, it. I mean, definitely epic. I enjoyed seeing it on. Uh, I was going to say the big screen, by which I meant I. I was closer than normal to my fifty-inch <laughs> TV. <laughs> That's my attempt to get the IMAX experience. You taped it to your head. Of all the movies that I went to theaters to see this year, which were only a handful, but this was the one cinematic experience that I had. Like, I just, I, it was immersive and I'm glad, I'm glad I immersed myself in it and I'm glad I took the plunge and saw it in IMAX and in all of its glory because you could not, my wife started it on television and then finished it on her phone. And she had, upon finishing it, because, you know, we have a young baby, she was like, gosh, maybe I should have watched that on a bigger screen. I mean, it's, it's fine if she has a big iPhone. So pretty much the same thing. Yeah, as long as you just hold it up to your eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you put the screaming baby behind you, put the phone close to you. You pretty much have the theatrical experience. Screaming babies, sandworms—they all sound the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about Chloe Zhao's Eternals. I liked it better than I think the critics did and most of the fans did. There were times when it actually didn't feel like a Marvel movie. It was also notable for having the first Marvel sex scene. So. There's that too. No, seriously though, it was a really ambitious movie given the timeline. It just basically takes place across the eons. It worked best when they got to the present day and you got to see the actual personalities of these people in the opening. They're just generic characters who are fighting weird aliens. There were a lot of parts that just didn't add up, um, which I think we talked about in depth in our other episode. The villains were kind of disappointing. Yeah, Cersei was disappointing. I think I would have enjoyed this movie if it weren't a Marvel movie. Like it would have felt more ambitious if it didn't feel the need to kind of bring itself back to continuity, which it, it didn't really have to do that much of. But just knowing that this existed in that Marvel universe made me feel the weight of, oh, how is this going to affect that thing and that thing and that thing? And why aren't they? Oh, why do we have to talk about Thanos and all these things? So I was like, nah, just let it be its own thing. Um, and hey, it had an Indian person. So, hey, hey let's go. Uh, yeah, you know what I appreciated about it is that, you know, the Marvel formula is, you know, character rises to the top and they're very quippy along the way. And 
I just appreciated that the emotions felt a little bit more genuine than than some of the other Marvel movies, like Captain Marvel, for instance, or even even to an extent Shang Chi. And even though he has that kind of, ah, I shouldn't say that actually. I did like the relationship between Shang Chi and his and his um and his father. That that core was was pretty strong. It's because all of Eternals was shot during the golden hour. You couldn't not feel the emotion rippling off the screen. <laughs> but Ryan, we got to talk about Hawkeye on Disney Plus. I haven't watched it. God damn it. it. <laughs> Sorry. Here's what I'd say. I'll, I'll put in my quick hot take. It's loosely based on the Mac Fraction run uh, that we've already reviewed and released twice now, which you should, which I personally, I know Ryan may not feel the same way, is one of the best modern superhero runs of the last 20 years. But it was also trying to thread the needle of that iconic run with the Clint Barton we know from the Avengers MCU. And it's funny, I, I've been watching it in the first few episodes I enjoyed enough but didn't love but then when i go back and think about them i like but we're on episode five of six uh right around the christmas season but it's really becoming its own thing it's showing the heart of the show and it's really connecting some interesting pieces in the marvel cinematic universe that i was not that we all thought they might make an attempt to do and i'm really glad they're doing it and so far it's paying out so um, kingpin and black widow's sister are in it there you go do i need to watch it now do i still need to watch it Florence Pugh and Vincent D'Onofrio. No, there's some moments of heart with Pizza Dog and Grills. Uh, and yeah, it's still entertaining. Moments of heart with Pizza Dog and Grills. I love that. Um, all right, then maybe I do have to watch it, even though I feel I know everything. I don't. Just find a friend with a Disney Plus account. <laughs> ah, if only if, if only I had one, Roman. If only I had one. <laughs> what about Spider-Man Far From Home? I have to apologize. Uh, I'm eating the same pizza that I was eating um, from and during the last episode. Pizza lasts a long time. Haven't watched it yet. Well, then maybe you should just go reread Ultimate Spider-Man in one day. That's your punishment. That's maybe probably why I haven't seen it yet. It's just like, <laughs> I read all of Ultimate Spider-Man in one day. Do I really need to see a sp- spend two and a half hours watching Spider-Man? Breathing the fresh COVID air? I don't know. But did you like it? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to ruin it. I, I enjoyed it. Again, it wasn't a cinema experience. It was a movie experience. And a crazy two years of not going to the movies that often. Again, up until this kind of last run of, frankly, Marvel movies and Dunes, I the last movie I saw in theaters was Little Women <laughs> before the world shut down. And oh, by the way- also had Florence Pugh. Yeah, and not to knock Little Women. Great film. Uh, but uh, as well as Uncut Gems. I think I saw those two movies in the course of a week before the lockdown started to happen. Um, you know, it's not that I haven't seen other movies, but you want to have cinema or, or film spectacle experiences, and comic books lend themselves to that. That's kind of why they're eating the world. And are we a little oversaturated? Yes. But with Spider-Man Far From Home, it was kind of the Marvel movie I needed. This will probably be the last movie I see in theaters, at least until the late spring, early summer, because there's nothing like this coming out. Matrix comes out, and it'll be on HBO Max, so I'll just watch it from the comfort of my home. Bond, I didn't watch in theaters, and I'll probably watch it home over the break. Um, There's a Wes Anderson movie that came out, and I will probably watch it over the break on my television. So um, 
I'm glad I saw Spider-Man in theaters. It delivered everything it was trying to do. I had fun. It had heart. And it hit the reset button without spoiling a lot of things. And and that made me happy. Uh, the retcon. The two and a half hour retcon. <laughs> I'm being snarky. I haven't seen the movie. I, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm actually looking forward to it just because I was a big fan of Spider-Man 1 and 2 back in the early 2000s. Well, I say uh, if if you do get the chance to to see it before we air this episode, yeah, I'd be happy to record a couple thoughts with you. All right. All right. Spider-Man, No Way Homecoming, Far From. Far From Amazing Spider-Man 11. Um, no, I, I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah. What did you think? It was spe- I, spectacular. I think. I mean, Jesus, how many Spider-Man movies? Are there? Like three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. If you include Spider Verse, there have been nine Spider Man movies. And are we including Civil War and the Avengers, Endgame, all of that as Spider Man movies? I, I, I think you could include maybe not Endgame because he's only kind of in it at the end. But mm. the Infinity War, he's a major part. Civil War, he's got a major part. So okay, there have been of the shitload of movies Spider Man has been in. A shitload. There's easily, been a shitload of movies. This is easily in the top three. Uh, Spider-Man 2, the one with Doc Ock and Tobey Maguire, is amazing. Into the Spider-Verse is amazing. And this one was spectacular, man. There's so many things I liked about it. And I don't know. How about you? I mean, tell me why I'm wrong. No, I really enjoyed it, too. And I, But, I, you know, I enjoyed it because I like the Spider-Man character. I like the previous Spider-Man movies. The first two Tobey Maguire movies were great. The Andrew Garfield movies were, you know, okay. just where the mediocrity set in. But I think my enjoyment of those previous movies is sort of what really kind of drove my enjoyment of this one. You know, if you haven't watched the previous Spider-Man movies, by which I mean not just the Marvel Universe ones, but also the Tobey Maguire ones, as well as the Andrew Garfield ones. Sure. You're going to be lost. So this is really kind of like trafficking on nostalgia. And I think it does it really, really well. And it does kind but, of but, tell a compelling story within it. But I think that that's the second part that's important. Because if it was just fan service and nostalgia, oh, remember that guy. But you really get into, I mean, look, Doc Ock, Norman Osborn, and the other two Spider-Men from the old movie. So four characters. And we'll just throw away the other villains. Um, even even Jamie Foxx. Like, there's significant character arcs to them being a part of the story and if it was just kind of them showing up with a wink and a nod and a cameo to collect a paycheck i would have felt differently but and even i mean the the most fan servicey thing was the best part was daredevil hey man i'm glad they got it out of the way and he's a very good lawyer um i enjoyed him comparing notes to the other peter parkers yeah so yeah i really enjoyed those scenes and I really did enjoy the movie, but I was just kind of thinking about like just Disney, you know, it's the power of its storytelling really comes from nostalgia. And I think that's been really, really true of the MCU now that Disney has taken it over. And of course, because they have like this huge battery of films from the past, stitching all of those pieces together, they did a really good job of telling a cohesive story and also moving Green Goblin Dr. Octopus and Electro as villains forward in a way that I didn't expect. You know, it's a different sort of Electro from the one in the Garfield movie, but yet he's still kind of the same character. He's somebody who's much more bitter. He knows he has his power now, but you can still see that uncertainty and that sensitivity that he had before he was superpowered. But more importantly, Willem Dafoe, like the mask yeah. is off. You actually, I mean, one of the most expressive faces in the world. One of my biggest frustrations with that first Spider-Man movie is you put him behind a metal mask and to just watch the insanity behind his eyes. And um, 
just watch yeah. him act the shit out of that movie. It was like Jack Nicholson in 1989's Batman. It was just insane. They finally made the Green Goblin scary. The worst thing about that first Spider-Man movie was that awful Power Rangers costume. Mask, I'm glad yeah. they literally smashed it in this one. And he is frightening. Uh, it's a great villainous performance. I love when Spider-Man is just punching him in the face and he's just sitting there like laughing. laughing. And those close-ups of Willem Dafoe's face when it just contorts. I was glad that you finally see why Green Goblin is by far the scariest of all his villains. It's something in the Ultimate Spider-Man episode you had issues with that Norman Osborn. Yeah. Where like this one... He like, does something. You felt it. Yeah, you f- and he's really tied to the mythos of, I mean, spoiler alert, it's not Uncle Ben that dies this time around. And he's tied to the heritage of Spider-Man. Everyone's hypothesis is this Spider-Man, the MCU Spider-Man, Uncle Ben's not a part of his life. Or it took three movies to get to an origin story. And I want to get to the thing that makes this movie special. But my biggest frustration with the MCU Spider-Man was it was so reliant on the MCU and Tony Stark in the suit. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this movie, you've given him his origin. You've got the great responsibility speech. Someone close to him died. He can't be close to his family. He has no money. So they've kind of reset Peter Parker in the MCU. There is no linkage to Stark. There's no linkage. He does have a heritage with the Avengers and Doctor Strange, but no one's going to remember it. And he has to stitch his own costume together. Yeah. No more nanotech. Get, one one question for you, or oh, just an admission. I choked up when Andrew Garfield caught MJ. Not that he caught her, but Zendaya delivered a couple of really great lines. And one of them, you know, he was like, are you okay? And she's like, are you? Because you watch him like about to cry. And right. I kind of lost it again, at that moment. It's, 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 a, it's a good callback to the scene where he lost Gwen Stacy in, in uh, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. I want to, can I ask you about the reset? Because I, I kind of sure. have mixed, you, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of Bond, uh, mm-hmm. the Daniel Craig James Bond, because in the third movie, they kind of reset James Bond. They brought in Money Penny. They had Ray Fiennes as as sort of his M, Cute. and it's sort of like a reset of the James Bond character. Interestingly enough, that it happened like three movies, and it's sort of strange when you reset the character, like when after the trilogy's been complete, and mm-hmm. that's kind mm-hmm. of what happened here, where you have a, like a full Spider-Man arc and then a complete reset of of him as a character and it does kind of open up a lot of possibilities of course because now you have him back to his core but at the same time i don't know maybe i just get a little bit tired of the retcons it feels sort of like i mean i'm 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 mixed i'm mixed on it this is what i'd say so i mean to compare to dc a little bit look marvel has made their bets on continuity even with multiverses it's there's a continuity to it if you stuck around for the doctor strange trailer at, at the end of the movie they literally reference a doctor strange from another multiverse from the what if cartoon show right so which we've already talked about but what dc says is oh we're making another movie with batman we're not going to talk about the origin we're just going to talk about batman in this story and this is something where again i'm not saying the dc movies are better but the, one of the things that dc movies chooses to do better is we're not going to worry about continuity. We're just going to tell the best damn Suicide Squad movie we can. We're going to do the best damn Aquaman movie we can. Never mind the baggage with the Justice League. And I'd rather just have standalone stories because we know who these icons are. And let's just go enjoy a film. That was honestly one of the great things about the Guardians of the Galaxy movie until they started interconnecting it with the MCU, which again, is not bad. But when it's just standalone, these are the characters. This is the story. This is the action. Let's go have fun with it. Yeah, and, uh, I guess, you know, where I get frustrated a little bit is because... 
you know, obviously we had Avengers Endgame recently enough. And of course, that was essentially a retcon where you just bring everybody back. And I guess at the end of this, you kind of have something sort of similar, this sort of massive event that shifts the universe back to, and you know, it, after a while, it feels like an old trick. And actually, it's only been, they've only done it twice. But in a way, to me, it feels like two times too many. I mean, doing it once was one time too many. It's just, you know, let me change everyone's memory. And again, there are consequences to it with Spider-Man, but it's just like with the literal snap. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, with Endgame, it was a world-changing event and everyone still talks about the blip, right? Just kind of like if Galactus came to the planet. like. And with this one, it was, even though you did impact everybody in the world, it was a very personal decision. So there are actually, I hate to say it, there will be no consequences of it, right? With the blip, you literally have, you know, the entire plot of Falcon and Winter Soldier is about post-blip. Um, it keeps coming, uh, all of WandaVision, post-blip, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so the world in the MCU exists in a pre-blip, post-blip society. But I guess you could say we experience pre-Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Mindwipe society post, but only one person knows about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I hear you that it was a big snap, but at the same time, it was to reset a character not to reset yeah. the whole universe. I'm also not a big fan of the post-blip stuff because they never really explore the consequences of that. I mean, it's uh, look, it's not it's the Marvel Universe. They're not, they're not going to... This is where I disagree with you of not having not done your homework, as we've joked on this episode, which we're totally all recording in one sitting. I, <laughs> you haven't watched the TV shows, and t arguably two, I would say two and a half of the four TV shows talk about the consequences of the blip. So they really, do. and even the Spider-Man movie, I just started watching the second uh, Spider-Man movie, uh, Far From Home. And like the whole opening is about a post-flip world and the hilarity that ensues from it. So, I mean, uh, they mention it and people are sort of like, yeah, and suddenly I came back. But, you know, after that, it's sort of like a big nothing burger, isn't it? Like what? Uh, what no, are the consequences no, I, of the blip? What? What? What's for, what's to you? What are the consequences of the, the blip? The, of the post blip uh, in in that movie or in general? In general, in the Marvel universe. You... Okay, well, let's go through the shows. Um, for first in Spider Man, since we're just talking about it, in Homecoming, you, one you have the teenage hijinks of like little kids are now older than their siblings, and they play with that in the front. But mm. the whole Mysterio arc is around all the heroes are gone. This guy's coming in to take over in the legacy of Stark in a post Stark world which is all related to the blip to be very clear. Okay. So that is, that is um, fair. That is a fair point. Okay. Yes. And and now I'm going to have to spoil two TV shows, but I know all of our listeners, if you're this far into the episode, you watch the shows that we just talked about. Um, Falcon and winter soldier is a post blip society. It is literally uh, when the blip happened, the whole world came together. The environment got better. Income became more equal. And now that 50% of the population is back, we're kind of reverting to our old ways. So there's a terrorist cell fighting for before the blip, the whole kind of like Thanos was right sort of mentality that's literally the okay. villain in the falcon and winter soldier show in wandavision the whole world is really fucking mad about all these magic superhero people um wanda loses her mind literally and uses her powers for good or no good because of the trauma by her boyfriend dying and, and so it's all related to the blip yeah and society's on edge so i, I just and I've Hawkeye seen WandaVision. Yeah, so so I I have not seen Falcon and Winter Soldier, and that actually does sound like a like a compelling exploration of what the world was like after the blip. It wasn't executed well, to be clear. <laughs> WandaVision was more about the death of Vision, I felt, and her reaction to it, which, you know, I mean, the whole show is really about grieving and mourning. And so that feels less like the like it has anything to do with the blip than Wanda's personal grief over losing her partner. 
but all um, of society's reactions to Wanda, so all of the mm, action I against mean, her is... Okay, I mean, she did take a town hostage. I mean, that strikes me as a pretty legitimate <laughs> reason. Yeah, but people are more on edge about it than they would have been before. I guess yeah. all I'm saying is, in the MCU, the thing I will give to them is they're not fully sweeping the blip under the rug. It is Even in Hawkeye, but with Yelena, Black Widow's younger sister... There's blip stuff related to it. The Battle of New York continues to come up over and over again. Even, I, I guess what I'd say is when Marvel does their big event stuff, be it Ultron and Sokovia, the Battle of New York, the blip, even to a degree that uh, <laughs> there was a callback with Hannibal Burris in two of the Homecoming movies as the gym teacher about Civil War, right? So like, I guess all I'd say is like, the beautiful thing about the continuity in the MCU is that they make callbacks and sometimes, not all the time, there are consequences for the things that they did. And maybe to come back to the last Spider-Man movie, all of a sudden there are no consequences for the thing that happened in the last movie, or the only person who feels the consequences are going to be Peter. Yeah. So again, I'm kind of mixed on that because he does lose all of his friends, right? I mean, it is a huge consequence for Peter specifically because his life has completely been been upended. And even though Doctor Strange fractures space-time, uh, apparently everything gets stitched back together at the end. Well, I guess maybe we'll find out in the Multiverse of Madness. But... Multiverse of Madness. The thing I'm more interested to see, uh, back to one of your earlier comments about Disney playing on nostalgia, you know, with Spider-Man, even Captain America and Iron Man, even though Captain America and Iron Man were not as popular characters, uh, MCU made them popular, so therefore, over however many years we've been watching Marvel movies, we feel a nostalgia for those previous films that they made. But what's going to be interesting coming into the new year is a show like Miss Marvel. So I have a nostalgia for Miss Marvel, having read the comic, but a lot of America does not know who Kamala Khan and Miss Marvel is. So can the formula work when it's people, when it's characters and stories that people have never heard of? Well, did it work for Shang-Chi? I don't know. Did it? I mean, we talked, I wouldn't say at length about it. We did a whole episode on um, it. <laughs> actually, we did talk at length. We did a whole episode on it. Sorry, I forgot. We, I, I, I forgot. <laughs> it's like someone snapped their fingers and made you forget about it did it work i mean my issue with shang chi is that it is a very by the books marvel movie with certain aspects with a new character yeah with a new character um you know obviously has tony leung who's amazing and the fight sequences were pretty cool um so as long as they put tony leung in the miss marvel show we should be okay that would be awesome i want to see a scene with tony leung and uh willem dafoe together they're such, they're such, they have such different acting styles. Like Willem Dafoe, like, well, at least with his Green Goblin, you know, he's kind of like a scenery-chewing guy. Tony Leung is like this quiet, simmering. They've compared him to Humphrey Bogart, but I do think that is apt. He's a lot more kind of understated, but he has like just huge presence just by being on screen. Um, but hey, actually, speaking of Spider-Man actors, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it was clear in Spider-Man No Way Home they had no idea what to do with Sandman or the Lizard other than having them as antagonists. <laughs> do you think Reezy Fonz and Thomas Hayden Church were actually in the movie or did they just use archival footage? Uh, things I've been reading, at least on Thomas Hayden, uh, was, yeah, he just did voice acting with archival footage for him. Well, because it was just weird that they were... I mean, I understand the Lizard being stuck in his Lizard form. I, You know, in the Spider-Man movie, he does change back into Thomas Hayden Church. So it didn't make a lot of sense that he would just show up and always be Sandy all the time. So it was curious to me. Maybe it was just ar archival footage. Was it even his voice? I mean, I guess we could probably find out. 
it's a plot hole that I'm not worried about because those two are window dressing. No, 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 no. I know. It, yeah. But, you know, the whole point of the show, Roman, is to go down rabbit holes. And this is not a plot hole. This is a rabbit hole. No. This... Come, come down with it. Come down. The uh, th- this is turning into a right. Spider-Man episode. And this is supposed to be a two minute oh, clip at the end of right. our episode. That's not, this hasn't been two minutes. But you know what? If we're <laughs> Doctor Strange, we're just going to make you forget. And we're going to move on to the next show. But yeah, I like I like Spider-Man um, No Way Home. And uh, I think people who you know enjoy the other Spider-Man movies and are familiar with it, you know, will, will like it too. Can I tell you the one thing that makes me upset about Spider-Man No Way Home? What is the one thing that makes you upset about Spider-Man? Oh, the fact that you got COVID in the theater to, to see it. Close. I didn't get COVID in the... I don't know yet. I saw it on... Yeah, you don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about me yet either. Um, but it's that. It's actually that. So this is the third best performing weekend box office movie. Uh, behind Force Awakens and Avengers Endgame, which were pre-pandemic movies. This is a movie that came out in theaters the week before Christmas. I went to an uh, early morning, mostly empty theater on purpose. Like I kept checking. And, but this is like sold out full theaters. I'm not saying people shouldn't go to the movies, but like when I went to the movies, I was upset to see people like munching on popcorn. And I'm like, guys, come on, put your mask on, shut up and watch the movie. And is this the super spreader event going into the holidays? Because people are getting together for the holidays with family and friends. And we hope you guys will all be safe with your family and friends. But did you just go to like a Foo Fighters concert or a full theater of strangers watching Spider-Man cheering and eating popcorn? So um, I'm a little nervous about this. The amazing super spreader man. Good Lord. But I'm glad I saw it. I, I think this will have been the last movie I see in theaters live for a few months going into the winter. I know you're not alone in that also, um, considering how all of the other movies have just sort of flopped, like West Side Story. You know, any kind of movie that's really kind of geared for adults or that aren't made from pre-existing properties, but West Side Story obviously is, just kind of kind of flopped. It's like the only reason people are going to the theaters is for Marvel. Well, it's, you know, look, there were uh, of the four movies I've been in theaters to see uh, since the pandemic started, uh, Shang-Chi, Dune, Eternals, and now Spider-Man. Yes, three of those four. Jesus, yeah, you're right. It's kind of weird. I mean, yeah. But I I guess what I was going to say is, I think this one, because it's Spider-Man, Shang-Chi and Eternals are new properties. Um, Dune was a spectacle in a very good way that I knew I had to see on the big screen. But this was... I feel like we collectively needed this. If there was a Star Wars movie that came out, I think we'd all go see it because we need it. We need something comfortable and familiar and or it's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It's rooted in this mythology. It's effectively an Avengers level event that was fun and feel good and well executed. And, you know, things are about to get dark again, I think. And I feel like we all emotionally needed this movie, but I don't know if we all needed to see it irresponsibly. Uh yeah. I mean, uh, given the release strategy, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> Come up with some closing thought, Ryan, because I want to get a glass of water. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know what? It's been a kind of a, a wild year. Um, wild two years. Wild two years. I can't say it's always been entertaining. And uh, with Omicron, it looks like quarantine comics will inevitably continue to be in quarantine. So, you know, stick with us. We are going to... Are we taking a little bit of a break, Roman? I have no idea what we're doing. There's a lot Maybe of stuff we, we, we yeah. want to read in the new year between MLK and Chinese New Year's. But we have some other very special episodes that uh, with some pretty cool comic creators and comic topics that we might slide into the feed so we can take a break. But 
don't worry, there will always be an episode of Quarantine Comics in your feed. Every- That's a pretty bold promise. I hope we can keep it. But yes, every week there will be an episode of, of Quarantine Comics in your, in your feed. Just like every Christmas, there will be uh, an episode of Klaus in your mailbox. That's a lie. There, there isn't one every Christmas, <laughs> right? Why would you tell our listeners that? <sighs> Stay safe and have a happy New Year's, everyone. Happy New Year, guys. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones. Hey.